Last month, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that federal courts do not have a role in regulating partisan gerrymandering. In a 5-4 decision, Chief Justice John Roberts wrote that partisan gerrymandering is, quote, beyond the reach of federal courts, unquote, and that federal judges do not have the authority to reallocate political power between the two major political parties. Partisan gerrymandering is a process through which a state legislature draws electoral districts in such a way as to benefit a particular political party. According to the Supreme Court, the power to regulate congressional districts lies with the states. Today we'll hear an excerpt of a podcast from the League of Women Voters of Bloomington, Monroe County, explaining how gerrymandering affects voters locally and how to make Indiana's congressional districts and elections fair. Well, just for an example, in the last election we had in November, uh, 55% of our voters got to pick something like 70% of our legislature. And that's because we're not redistricted properly, and that's why we need redistricting reform. How does that affect our voters? Well, I think it tells most voters that their vote, well, many voters at least, that their vote doesn't really count, so they might as well stay home and not participate. I think it accounts uh, in large part for uh, voter apathy, which we have in spades here in Indiana. I think that's true. And Vicki, I think you had some statistics you were talking about earlier that backs that up. Yes, actually, in 2014, Indiana had the lowest voter turnout in the country at 29 percent, 28, 29 percent. And even in 2016, which was a very consequential presidential election, our voter turnout was only 55%, which put us 38th out of 50 states. By the last general election in 2018, we had slipped back down to 40th of the 50 states, with only 49% of registered voters casting ballots. And anecdotally, I can tell you that while registering voters at the farmer's market, I had a number of, um, I and other league members, have had a number of people say, why should I bother registering to vote? My vote doesn't count. No matter how I vote, the result is going to be the same. Yeah, and I would say I'm 28, and a lot of my friends are in their 20s or 30s. I feel like generationally it's also a big problem um, with younger voters. I feel like because of gerrymandering especially, and even if they know that or not, they just don't want to get out to the polls because they don't think it'll matter. So I I kind of wonder what the statistics would be if it was by age or something. Because in my world, you know, I, I struggle with getting some of my friends to go out to the polls as well. So I think it's just to point out it's a big a big issue with you know people my age. Well, let me ask you a question about that. Do you think uh, their turnout would be increased if we made it easier for people in general to vote? which a lot of states have done by going to vote by mail, universal vote by mail. Washington does it now, Oregon does it now, and Colorado just adopted it too. And Colorado says the the, the impact was enormous. Yeah, I think that would help because I know, especially when you're a college student, which I was five, six years ago, um, it could be hard to vote if you're working part-time jobs or you don't, you know, you, you're just... You have you live paycheck to paycheck or something, especially now in our economy, kind of younger people tend to do that. So it's harder for them to get to the polls. So I would say, yeah, I think there's lots of things we could do. I think getting, you know, gerrymandering to me is one of the biggest reasons why I think people my age don't go. Not 
because it's easy or not easy, I think that's definitely a big part of it. But I think people also aren't um, excited about candidates because they feel that it's so gerrymandered it won't matter even if they like somebody. And I think paired with what you're saying that it could be hard um, to get there. If it was just easier, I think people my age li- like the ease. They like technology. They like when they can just like click a button and, and vote. <laughs> I think they probably would prefer that type yeah. of thing. How about voting on Sunday as a national holiday instead of on Tuesday? Yeah, uh, I definitely support it being a holiday. And I think I know a lot of people that do. Um, I think that would be great. I think that would be true not just for young people, yeah, but, but for everybody. For everybody. Mm-hmm. It, it can be hard when you're a working person, when you have kids. I mean, all of it affects that whether you are free to do, to just take time off and do that. Yeah, and I think like if there was an app that you could just vote on your phone, I think that would be awesome too, or something. You know, I feel like I want. I wonder what's out there currently with you know young technological people trying to figure out ways to get people to the polls. I wonder if there's like an app in the works or something that would be kind of cool. But um, yeah, I think yeah. Do you think we as a society in general seem reluctant to explore those sorts of things? I mean, that would be great, an app to vote. Well, I think the fact that we can't even get gerrymandering figured out, (laughs) you know, we can't even, I mean, it still exists and it's Mm -hmm. still, I mean, that first things first, I guess, in my mind, that's what I see is if we could just figure out a way to, um, yeah, to just to make voting, uh, more competitive within the parties, I think that would be great. So it's not just one party wins. And also, I did want to say, Jim, you had mentioned before about the ranking uh, voting. Rank choice voting. Yeah, yeah. and I mm-hmm. think that would be really cool, um, a really cool thing to do as well, because then you feel like your your voice counts no matter what. <laughs> Why don't you explain a little bit about what rank choice voting is and how it works in Maine and maybe San Francisco and Minneapolis? Um. Let's see if I can describe this. Um, I haven't actually listened to the podcast, but my boyfriend did, and he told me all about it. That's how I listen to podcasts. Um, <laughs> I hope all of you listen. Yeah. Um, uh, it's where you 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 rank your choices. So if it's for the president, you say, I want Joe Smith to be number one. I want Jane Smith to be number two, so on and so forth. And then if you're a first person doesn't get high enough, then um, they would just go off the ballot and then it would go to the, like the your second choice might count or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I'm explaining that correctly, but to me it, it means no matter what, you are putting the candidates in order and somewhere along the line, based on the rest of the, the country or district or whatever, your your voice will be heard somehow because your third choice could be the winner and you have a little more say over who won because you ranked them third mm-hmm. rather than eighth or something. I think the people are ready for things like this. Mm-hmm. For example, in Maine, they didn't just snap their fingers and have it overnight. Mm-hmm. It started with a citizen's referendum, and the citizens said, yes, we want ranked choice voting throughout the state for all our offices. Uh, the governor and the legislature said, no, you can't have it. So they went back and did a second referendum, and they passed it again, and... This time, they didn't. the governor couldn't veto it, and the legislature couldn't veto it, so it went in. And that's how they got uh, ranked choice voting in Maine. It's the first state in the union to get it. It happened last fall, and they, they think it's great. It worked just fine, but there was a battle there. 
The people are ready for things like this. It's the legislatures that are dragging their heels because they don't stand to profit from this kind of thing. Well, to me, the interesting fact there, too, is that Maine could do that because they are a referendum state. Yes, exactly. So why don't we do it? Yes, exactly. Will you explain to me, somebody, why we don't do it here in Indiana? I don't know why we are not a referendum state. I I really haven't investigated that, so I don't know. Does anybody have an answer to that? It's in the Constitution. That we are not allowed a referendum. That's right. Referenda do happen, but they're at the initiative of the legislature, not the people Mm -hmm. in Indiana. And it's the legislature also uh, who does the redistricting every year. Mm -hmm. So what what would we like to see happen? I mean, if we could change things, if we could get changes made, what is it that we would like to to do? What do you think, Vicki? I think ideally we need a bipartisan or a nonpartisan redistricting commission made up of citizens and with strict regulations regarding who can serve on it so that no official, for example, of either of the major parties can uh, can be on it, no one who's held elected office within a certain period of time. I believe that that is one of the requirements in New Jersey, for example, where they've had a redistricting commission for state races since 1966. Um, wow, that's great. Yeah, that, and and there there have to be uh, regulations as well regarding what you can and cannot, you know, ideally when you draw the maps, what you can, mm-hmm. what factors, what criteria you mm-hmm. can and cannot consider. For example, I, I believe right now the main factors or the only requirements for redrawing maps is that they be, the districts be contiguous. Mm-hmm. And they have to be roughly the same in size throughout the state. In terms of population. In terms of population, that's what I mean, yes. And um, they cannot be drawn in such a way as to harm minority communities, I believe. But contiguous has been interpreted in various ways, um, various kind of fanciful ways, you might say. Um, Some of them look like gerrymanders. (laughs) (laughs) Where does that term gerrymander come from? (laughs) It it comes from an unfortunate fellow named Elbridge Gerry, a genuine American patriot who made one big mistake in his political life. I mean, after all, he he signed the Declaration of Independence. He helped write a constitution. He was governor of Massachusetts. He, He was a great patriot, a great American politician. But he made one big mistake in his life, and that's when he was governor of Massachusetts, he wanted to make sure that his party won this next election, so he approved a map which is drawn so that uh, his party couldn't lose. Um, and he knew he did the wrong thing, and so did everybody else in the state know that, know that he did the wrong thing. And when it was publicized in, in the local newspaper, the local newspaper editor decided that we, they should name this oddly shaped map in his honor. And so they call it a gerrymander, but we've since changed the pronunciation over the years to gerrymander. It comes from Governor Elbridge Gerry of Massachusetts. He didn't invent it. It, It's it's as old as the nation, and neither party is innocent of it at all. But uh, it's named after him. 
Unfortunately and unfairly, I think. But you just had a better from. name. <laughs> you just had a better name that worked well, gerrymander. Yeah, what if George Germany? Washington had done it? You yeah. went Washington Mander. It's, yeah. just, it's really a mouthful. <laughs> but um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the role of devil's advocate here for a second and say, well, you know, if it's been done since the early 19th century and our country's still around, what's the big deal? The big deal came in 2011 when a bunch of people and a certain party that I won't name got together and decided that they were going to gerrymander it really big this time, and not just a little gerrymander that could be dismissed as boys will be boys, but a really big, huge gerrymander, and they're going to do this by hiring computer experts, computer-savvy guys, to do it for them. And so ever since that time, we've had terrifically huge gerrymanders throughout the country, and they threaten our representative democracy. You know, the fact that you said back in 2011 makes me think that we're coming up on 2021. And, I mean, this is a pretty huge issue for us because... That's a redistricting year. It is, and that's because 2020 is a census year. Right. So every time the population shifts and the census shows us where the new population is, then the lines have to be redrawn to account for that. By somebody. By somebody. So I think that that is pretty important to acknowledge that, you know, just kind of encouraging people to learn more and to even run is, and just to be involved in any capacity, I think is really important. Well, to sort of close the circle, a legislator also told me that the only people legislators pay any attention to are their constituents. And the only thing that moves them to action is the threat of non-election, non-re-election, defeat in the next election. And that's why you educate your citizens. So they will get in touch with their legislator and say, unless you shape up on this issue, I'm not going to vote for you next time. Well, that's a pretty yeah. hopeful note to end on, um, <laughs> the idea that there is actually something we can do, and we just have to keep at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this has been great. I thank you all. Jim, Chaz, Vicki, appreciate your being here. Uh, If you'd like to hear our other podcasts or learn more about this and other topics, visit the League of Women Voters of Bloomington-Monroe County website at www.lwv-bmc. You just heard Elaine Gall, Chaz Mockyer, Vicki Polanski, and Jim Allison from the League of Women Voters of Bloomington. You can find more educational materials on gerrymandering and civics at lwv-bmc.org. Republicans control both the governorship and the state legislature in 22 states, compared to the Democrats' 14.